Good afternoon, Universe, and welcome to Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold bad opinions and false notions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and together we are on a journey to study, remember, confess, believe, Christian dogma. That is, truth. Because we believe that when God speaks, he does so that we might know what he said, and even speak it back to him. St. Paul exhorts all Christians to hunger for the truth, to watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, he says, for the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will turn aside to suit their own desires, gathering around them a great number of teachers to teach what their itching ears want to hear. You, however, Christian, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. To help us do this today, I got some of my regular guests here with me. Pastor Sean Danzer of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota, and Pastor Aaron Hamilton of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lisbon, North Dakota. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. So we left off last time in the middle of some Bible verses and trying to look at those texts more carefully. We're going we're gonna to go back and pick up the ones that we missed, but first, kind of to reestablish where we are, what we've been dwelling on. The next sentence, which would follow, more or less, is helpful to to, to bring us back kind of into the, into the point. It's at the middle of Dr. Pieper's Volume 1, page 37, middle of the paragraph that starts in the second place. It's really the only full paragraph on the, on the page. And he says this. He says, What we are pointing out here is that if Scripture were a mixture of God's Word and man's Word, and not God's own infallible word, it would be subject to human criticism. And that would spell the end of the absoluteness of the Christian religion. He's been talking about this absoluteness of the Christian religion kind of as his main point here and trying to establish it. And it seems, at least from the way he's speaking and the people that he's quoting, that he, he believes we live in a world that isn't going to accept this idea. And, and Pastor Danzer was saying to me before the show that this is very akin to the postmodern mindset, the, the, the idea that we live in these times where what's true for me is true for me, what's true for you is true for you. And so this is kind of like the, the street cred way of doing philosophy now. But Pieper is writing well before this. He's, he's writing in modern times, and he has the same problem. And so you got to kind of wonder, you know, what's going on here? Is this just the age we live in, or is the age we live in an exacerbation of the problem that humanity has dealt with all along? Got thoughts on that, guys, to open up? Uh, well, what a bold thing that he says. It's not just absolute truth, this religion, but he even just says it's the absolute religion. And uh, I do think that sounds so shocking to us. But you're right. It already was a problem back then. Postmodernism, I don't think, really began with stuff in the 20th century. I think it began in the 19th century. And uh, so Peeper's living with it and wrestling with it, maybe before it trickled down to kind of our common thinking where we just don't want to stand for somebody saying, I actually think I'm right here, because that sounds like the most arrogant thing of all. Um, but he's already talked about the atonement being the center of our religion. Uh, and now he's going to talk about the scriptures and the fact that the absoluteness, the truth of the Christian religion and the uniqueness is that we claim and in fact have, I mean, of course, in our opinion, but more than that, um, we have the word of God and our religion doesn't claim to stand on a combination of human words and ideas, really great thoughts from history or really great 
new thoughts that are always being revealed, kind of a progressive, um, you know, we're always getting better and better. And we've realized things that people long before us only could have dreamed of. But he's actually saying, no, we stand on something that's firm, unchanging, and absolutely true, because God has actually spoken it. And that's the scriptures. It's a very basic concept, like where does your religion come from? What's the origins of it? Most people would say, well, here's the tradition or here's the thoughts of our ancestors or, you know, pick whatever your thing is. Ours stands entirely on God has spoken something. And uh, and that's why in another, other places, even we're talking among Christians, we as Lutherans really stand on this idea that the, the Holy Scriptures are the sole rule and norm for all of our teaching and our life. Because finally, when it comes back to it, we, we go back to God has said something. That's the reason why we are Christians. That's the reason why we care about dogma and doctrine or any kind of teaching is because we're our job is not to create or invent or explain something as much as it is simply to preserve it, to confess it, to repeat it, uh, and to and to hold it firm against all the other ideas that are competing but don't have the kind of absoluteness that God's Word does. That's what makes our religion, um, as Pieper says, perfect and unsurpassable. I mean, that's his entire point with this uh, page on, on page 370, or on page 37, that the Christian religion is perfect and unsurpassable because its source and norm is not the word of men. And so it's not, like you said, um, it's not the mixture of human and divine thoughts. It's purely divine thoughts. We have a bunch of uh, religions in the world that say, oh, well, uh, you Christians have the golden rule. You know, Jesus said you're supposed to treat your neighbor like you want to be treated. Uh, well, we have that too. Uh, we Hindus have that rule as well. And so we have the truth just as much as you have the truth. And it, so it's just a, a bunch of human thoughts put together and we have a, a great guru. Uh, and so even the, the other world religions, um, most of them recognize Jesus of Nazareth as a great guru. And he had some really cool thoughts. Um, but we have that Jesus, uh, not as just some guru, but as the word of God and the scriptures um, that uh, came before and pointed to that Christ and the scriptures that were written after, uh, the teachings of the apostles, the, the epistles of Paul and uh, Peter and, and John, uh, these are pointing us back to that word of God, uh, the inspired, infallible, inviolable word of God. You said it really good, Aaron, I, I, uh, Pastor Hamilton, I should say, um, Our listeners may have heard that saying about, you know, what about a blind man trying to describe an elephant? You know, they reach out, they grab the tail, one person grabs the trunk, somebody grabs the leg, and they all have a different idea of the same elephant. They're trying to describe it. One says, well, it's a tree. I grabbed his leg, and it was this big round thing. I grabbed its tail. It must have been like grass. You know, and what does that show? All of us are reaching out and trying to find the truth out there in the world. And uh, you're right. There's plenty of truths that pop up in other places. Uh, it isn't that Christian Christians are the only ones who know things or can observe things. That's not our claim. Our claim is that, it, it, that we do not have blind people grasping at elephants. We have an elephant who comes up and tells them, I'm an elephant. Here's what I am. Uh, that's, what it's, that's what the scriptures are. God comes out and says what is true. That's how we know it. 
When you have a situation, too, where you get these gurus trying to say, I really like Jesus, and they, they kind of prove Peeper's earlier point, which is that there's only two religions in the world, Christianity, which is grace, and the rest of the religions, which is law, because they come to Jesus, the guru, and they, they latch onto his law. Oh, I like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's really good. He had some neat things. I love a lot of the things your Jesus said. And you're like, yeah, what about that? Uh, the son of man must suffer many things at the hands of sinners, be crucified, die, and then on the third day ra be ra raised again. And it's almost like, you know, uh, St. Peter there before his, his second conversion, as it were, saying, well, no, 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 we, we don't like that thing he said. You know, he was wrong about a few things. And, and that's that's for sure one of them. And you get this this uh, move then away, always, always from the vicarious atonement. So when we talk about absolute religion, we're talking about the purchase price of mankind as a gift achieved by Jesus on the cross. And that's why it's absolute. It was it was a once-for-all sacrifice. And without without that, the whole Christian religion collapses. So feel free to respond to that. Or here's here's a question I have for you guys as well, because it can't really ever do this enough, and we haven't done this really here on Cross Defense, at least in recent memory. If you had to define postmodernism to somebody on the street who'd never heard the term before, how would you define it? How would you tell them about what that means? Did I stump you? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't? Well, say why. That's great, too. Well, I, I postmodernism, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's like trying to describe to a fish uh, what water is. It's just all around him. It's difficult to explain that. Um, where we breathe it in, uh, we absorb it, and we don't even recognize it. Um, I don't think there's really one solid way to explain exactly what postmodernism is because it's so um, amorphous. Uh, and the, the best that I've heard is that uh, postmodernism is just built on this one absolute truth that there are no absolute truths, which itself is a, a paradox. Um, I, I, I've tried explaining it to multiple Bible study classes um, and maybe it's just my lack of ability to teach. Um, but uh, whenever I try to talk about postmodernism, everybody just looks at me with a blank face. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I, I, I know the feeling. Something. I think it shows up in, in kind of the understanding that it's not about the destination, but it's the journey. You've maybe heard that before. Well, imagine that your journey is looking for truth or trying to learn things. Uh, the, the highest achievement of your learning would be to, to, to come to the conclusion, if you can call it that, I don't know. I don't know anything. Um, but to actually arrive at something and say, this is this is right, is to have failed in your journey. Um, uh, you're right, that the, the absolute truth that there are no truths is a self-defeating idea. Um, but goes with that is that is the breaking down of words too. That that words are mere words. They don't ever communicate something. They can't ever say something. And uh, that makes it really hard. Then, if you're talking in terms of the scriptures, you're talking what Peeper's talking about. Because here we're actually saying not only do words communicate, but these words are communicating God Himself uh, uh, absolutely, uh, which is which is such a different thing from fumbling around looking for something. It's amazing how many words it takes to convince people that the words don't have meaning, though, don't you think? Like, they really exactly. got to spend a lot of time on it. Um, so a, a couple of thoughts here in response. I love what you said there, Pastor Hamilton, about how you wouldn't talk about it because it's a fish in water. And this is, I, I agree, this is why, in a sense, we can't really 
define it, or I may say it differently, we can't stop being postmodern. It's not going to happen. It is who we are. These are the assumptions that are built into us as a people. But we can have those assumptions challenged, questioned, even changed and reformed by by what the Word of God says, which is basically what we're doing here. The other way that, you know, because I'm just like, I, I'm an idiot like you, where I stand up and I try to teach people terminology and Bible study as well, and I write it on the board over and over again, and no one ever knows what it means. But, you know, I have this vain hope. Someone's going to be like, oh, postmodernism, and, and then, like, respond <laughs> to it, right? Um, but anyhow, what I think maybe without going down that rabbit hole can help a little bit is to see there's there's a move in the way that humanity thinks in the last 150 years, and this move has been away from thinking reasonably and toward feeling authentically, and pride of place is given to the feeling authentically. It's not that nobody thinks ever or that logic never has a place. But if the two have to get into a fight, feeling authentically wins every single time. And the other way that I would I, I think is important because it's such a common proverb or such a common uh, thing that people say that isn't true. But but it's exactly what, what postmodernism officially teaches is this idea that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Which, if you believe in an almighty God, if you believe in good and evil, you can't believe that absolutely. It's sure. You know, you like this pizza, I like that pizza. You say tomato, I say tomato. Okay, okay. But how far does that go? I mean, at what point, is there nothing that's ugly? Nothing? Because that's effectively what you're saying. Or, I mean, how many people look at a sunset and say, I hate sunsets. They're so ugly. Like, nobody says that. I've never met them, right? They'd be really weird if they did. Beauty may at times have edges, but it's not really in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is a real thing; it exists, and, and it's that denial of that of postmodernism that beauty actually exists, which, at the absolute center of Christianity, is God saying, "Oh no, no, beauty really does exist." And here's how messed up you guys are: you can't see it. It's a dead guy on a cross dying for your sins. You think that's the ugliest thing in the world? Right. I, I I love what you said there, Pastor Fisk. I, I remember a time I was studying over in Heidelberg um, and uh, Heidelberg, Germany, and we were up uh, visiting. Um, we were in our wonderful uh, cross-cultural class that we had to take. Um, and if you know anything about modern Germany, uh, modern Germany now is defined by abandoning everything German and celebrating everything that's not German because they're they're feeling so guilty about uh, the the real atrocities that they committed. Um, but anyway, we we were visiting this guy who was a uh, refugee from Iraq, and he um, he's a painter, and he was showing us some of his paintings, kind of the the postmodern um, artwork that doesn't really have any set form. Um, but he was explaining what it meant to him. Uh, when he was painting this stuff, and he said that he was of the Baha'i faith, which I don't know if uh, your listeners know much about the Baha'i faith. Uh, I don't know that I know much about the Baha'i faith, um, but they teach that uh, the that God has sent different prophets throughout time, and every so often there's a new prophet who is who emerges. Uh, Jesus was one of the, those prophets, and then after that prophet came Muhammad. Before Jesus, there was the Buddha. Uh, and so it's essentially a pan-religious um, religion. It's like an uh, easternized Masonic lodge without, like, the handshakes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So so he was talking about all of this, the terrible atrocities that were being committed um, 
by the Muslims in Iraq against those of the Baha'i faith. So he and uh, and his family or whoever else fled with him to Germany, and his painting was uh, a way for him to communicate the atrocities. Um, but more than that, his his paintings were a way to communicate uh, the peace that Baha'i is supposed to bring. And I remember um, one of the uh, the uh, the aides that we had um, brought me aside. I, I left the room because I was kind of tired of hearing uh, the garbage that he was spewing. Um, and he said, or and this this teacher's aide said to me, "Well, why did you leave? Do you not think this is beautiful?" And I said, "No." I don't think this is beautiful. I think the peace that he wants, that we would stop killing each other, sure, that's a beautiful thing. But it's just what you said, Pastor Fisk, that true beauty is found in Jesus Christ crucified for us. That's where pure, pure beauty is found, and this guy wasn't talking about that. He was talking about how we can create our own peace here on earth, and that's not beautiful. That's what forms all of the chaos that we live in now. Yeah, beautiful. It communicates peace, you said. That was his intention. The trouble is it doesn't communicate anything, right? Unless he comes and tells us forcibly what it's supposed to be communicating. It's quite different than, you know, traditional art, uh, which in our context would be Christian art, which certainly wants to communicate things. And in order to communicate things, it uses words that certainly mean things. It uses symbols. Uh, man, Christians have all sorts of symbols, but in, in times past, we knew what they meant. Now, art is intentionally trying to not communicate anything so that either you have to ask the artist what they wanted to say, or I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder. You make up what, the, what you think it should say. This is why so few people really love modern art and why, frankly, modern art would disappear if it wasn't funded by the government. At least that's my opinion on the matter. Uh, because we don't buy it in the stores. You don't find it at Walmart. And there's something to be said about Kitsch not being the greatest art either. But the reason people don't like modern art is because it, it, it doesn't mean anything. And people want story. People want meaning. Art once was developed as a way of trying, like you just said, to communicate, to bring a message across. And, and now, and this is official, I mean, I'm not just making this up, is officially the position of postmodern art that the goal is to tear down meaning, to take away meaning, to empty the, the piece of art that you're making of meaning so that the individual has to fill it with their own their own thinking. And it's just so contrary to any idea of truth. Now, Peeper, when he's dealing with this, he's at, a, he's at a junction point where this hasn't tipped the balance in the culture itself, but we're definitely, definitely past that point. Of course, we, we are getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because he is using Scripture to, to demonstrate that the Scriptures at least present themselves as a, an alternative option to this, uh, you know, you pick, I pick, we'll see what happens. The Scriptures present themselves as a light shining in a dark place to which we would do well to pay attention. And we, we didn't look at, there were two other sections of Scripture that last week he referenced that we wanted to look at. We're going to do at least one of those now here before we go back to break. And that, that's First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 in which he's talking about the prophets of old and their word and what, what the prophets at least believed about their words. And then Peter's kind of commenting on it himself. So he says, concerning this salvation, which he opened the book by talking about Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He is the one who purchased you with his blood. Concerning this salvation, the prophets 
Old Testament he's talking, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. So back in the day when they looked forward, God sent a word to them that told them about this grace, again, this forgiveness of sins that was going to come to you. He's talking to us, the listener here. The prophets about this grace searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating. That is, you know, having, I I can't imagine where, where I'm not a prophet. You know, you get this word from God where he, he kind of has a conversation with you. It's If we're going to be kind of Lutheran about it, there's an audible connection to this. It's, it's not like this is just, I felt it in my heart kind of thing. There's an undeniability. You got to think Isaiah lifted up into heaven and, and literally face to face in the throne room of God and all this. Um, it, but what happens after you get that word from the Spirit... And then you you basically like okay so what does that mean like maybe you don't even know all of that it means but you got to write it down you got to go give the message you you see some of what the meaning is but maybe not all of it and that's what was the case he's I think that's what this is saying here the prophets didn't really know so they kept asking what does it mean when the spirit was indicating here's what it meant right here's what we know here's what's been revealed the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories uh, the, the idea that Jesus is going to die for us which is what he's he's based the whole book on. Now, it was revealed to them, verse 12 says, that they were serving not themselves, but you. So they did at least know, look, if I don't understand this now, it's going to fully be understood at some point, and that's for the sake of all those who are going to be bought by uh, the purchase price of the the seed who's coming to, to overthrow the devil's kingdom, uh, serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. So now it's come to you, not as shadows of ancient prophecy, but in this gospel in the present, preached to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So all this word is the, is the work of God's spirit in the world, things to which into which even angels long to look. Now, again, we, we've got time for each of you to give a good comment on this text here. My first thought is though, like, that's not the place, I, I think I understand what's going on, but that's not the place I would go to prove the inspiration of scripture from the Bible. That's not where I'd go, but but he does, and there's got to be a better reason than I'm seeing for it. I, I wonder if he's not hinting at, um, Hamilton brought this up so well that part of this is discussion of us with other religions, the question of whether we're all arriving at a truth through comparing truths and whatever each religion has, and this kind of development of doctrine, you know, we put it all together, some things fall away. It's an evolution of religion, you might say. And this, and it's a common one to say, you know, the Old Testament is kind of the primitive uh, Christianity, and in the New Testament, then we arrive at the, you know, modern man or something. And in this, he's saying, no, that's not the case. It may have been that the prophets didn't quite know fully what they're saying. In fact, that's exactly the case. But they knew what they were saying. They knew it was actually talking about the fulfillment of these things, which was for us, it's always wonderful to find yourself in the Bible, and... um and that all of it's been revealed and fully is comprehended now, of course, in Christ who has come. These things that even the angels didn't understand. Um, and, and I know Peter's going to get there eventually and say being a perfect system, an absolute religion, doesn't mean that we can you know, comprehend everything. We are dealing with divine things that are beyond human capacity in some cases. But we are able to confess them. We are able to say them. Uh, and, and, um, and that's because... The scriptures are revealing God's thoughts and words to us. It isn't us approaching it secondhand and, well, interpreting the beauty in our own eyes. I, I think this is a really, um, I don't know, I, when I first read this, uh, Pastor Fisk, I, I was with you. I thought, 
why in the world is Pieper bringing this up when he's talking about inspiration? Um, but the more and more I thought about it, uh, I recognize that he sees um, the the center of the truth. Uh, this is where we depart from our postmodern world is we have the truth. And what is the center of that truth? It's the, uh, the sufferings of Christ, Christ crucified. Um, as, as Peter said, uh, that the prophets were looking forward, uh, prophesying about this Christ and then his sufferings. Um, and their inspiration was always pointing toward that. And the inspiration of the apostles who came after that were drawing from the sufferings of Christ. That's the the central truth, that is the truth, um, the, that's the central article of doctrine for the Christian church. And Paul put it this way, I'm going through a Bible study right now uh, with my congregation in 1 Timothy, and Paul said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then we all get to confess of whom I am the foremost. Mm. Yeah, amen to that. And, and and I think I think Pastor Danzer shed some really good light, at least for me here, on this idea that, well, in the context, he's dealing with this evolution of religions idea that Christianity was incomplete. And this passage does say, look, even if the prophets at a moment had it, it was incomplete for their understanding. That didn't mean that the revelation was incomplete. From the foundation of the world, Christ was to be crucified on our behalf. And even, I, I believe, the, the book says in Revelation, he was crucified from the foundation of the world uh, on our behalf. And it's certainly now, looking back, we can see that certainty in time and space as having occurred for us. Why on earth, believing in him as our Savior, would we distrust his ability to, to make all that happen and yet leave us a clear message about what it means? You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, talking with Pastor Aaron Hamilton and Pastor Sean Danzer about the dogma, which means the, uh, the, the truth, the beauty that is not in the eye of the beholder, but is ever certain and true that you have in Christian scripture. We'll be right back in just a moment. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu in the hectic rush of this life, it's not always easy to catch your breath, sit down with the Holy Scriptures, and meditate on your Lord's words. With all the demands on your time, how do you fit in His time? That's why we broadcast His time every weekday morning here on KFUO. Beginning with the dawn, we bring His time to you with Scripture, devotion, prayer, and comfort to help you be still and know that He is God, even while stuck in traffic. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. 
KFUO embracing today's technologies to bring the good news message of Christ to the world. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth or sync up to listen in your car while driving anywhere. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org. On the air, online, and on demand, the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Augsburg Confession of 1530, the Scottish Confession of Faith of 1560, the Westminster Confession of Faith of 1647. Creeds and confessions, statements that help different faith traditions express and standardize their beliefs and doctrine. Some creeds attempted to summarize the church's beliefs about the Bible and its teachings, as did the Nicene Creed, written in the 4th century, referencing stories of Jesus from the Gospels. The creed says, He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. Engage with the Bible, with this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Cross Defense, your daily, oh, daily, weekly dose of worldview demolition here on Worldwide KFUO, challenging the assumptions of our age, the assumptions of our minds, the, the water in which we breathe fish that we are and not really able to see what's around us challenging what we think with christian scripture the truth and trying to bring our lives into concord into harmony with what has been revealed because it's well frankly good news that our lord jesus christ has achieved salvation for us talking with pastor sean danzer and pastor aaron hamilton about francis peeper's christian dogmatics volume one on page 37 where he is just basically trying to establish we should trust the scriptures because they're true. And he points us to one more Bible verse here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, which kind of falls out of the out of the sky in the middle of the sentence. So I'm going to go back a little bit here and, and pick us up, I think, at... Ooh, I had it before we came back from break, and now I lost it there. Um, verse... 19 is where we're going to start. So he says, and this is, he's been speaking the gospel all along here, right? That we are reconciled to God in Christ. He says, so then, this is, this is a fact now. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That is, you're no longer away from God, but you are fellow citizens with the saints or the holy ones and members of the household of God. So you've become part of God's, not just his nation, but his family. And then here's our verse, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which there's really not many ways to read this. I guess you could try to say it's upon the good works of the prophets and the apostles, that they're somehow the foundation, but that just goes against everything that that Christianity and the Bible teaches. The other side is, how are the apostles and prophets a foundation? Well, the next line tells us Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what what does a cornerstone mean? We'll come back to that too in just a second. But the the idea that he's, he's kind of at the center of the whole thing. So how how can the apostles and prophets now then from Christ be a foundation for us? What, another way of asking this is, what line do you have right now to the apostles and prophets? And it, it's not the tradition of the church, and it's not the warm, fuzzy feelings in your heart. 
it's the Holy Scriptures. That's what you got. It's their own words written down. Christ Jesus himself being the foundation of that, the cornerstone in whom, Jesus, the whole structure, us, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. A lot of cool building imagery there as well. Cornerstone, temple, all that. You yourselves are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. How are you the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's right here. How are you being built into the temple of the Holy Spirit? On the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, on, on their words. And that's Peeper's real point here. It's a little different than saying we believe the Bible. Um, uh, Lutherans like this phrase, the prophetic and the apostolic scriptures. Um, is there really a difference? I suppose not. But um, it draws us back to this very passage from Ephesians and this idea that we're built on the prophets and the apostles. I think if we bring in what Peter said in our last quote, it's that uh, prophets and apostles means sent from God. Uh, the word inspired is included in that and therefore inerrant, found, you know, firm. It's a good foundation. It's not a cracked one. Uh, I love the way it's put here, right? Cornerstone. What does that mean? Well, I've heard sometimes a cornerstone might have been like a keystone in the arch, the center one that holds it all up. You St. Louis listeners probably know what that's about. Uh, but in the ancient world, I think especially in the Hebrews, it would have been, what's a corner? Well, the corner was the first stone that went down, and it sets the directions, the, the, the you know, trajectory for the rest of the walls. And if you don't have a good cornerstone, your walls are going to, that's their plumb line in the old days. Um, so how wonderful, then. Jesus is the one who sets the path. He is the one who sends those apostles, after all. He's the one to whom, if you waltz your way down the edge of all those prophets, they all end up pointing towards him. You put them together. He's the, he's the one who stands in the middle of them. And he sets the angle, the direction the, uh, of the foundation. And not only that, but also building up then, right? Because we are in the Bible in this passage, too. We... Uh, together with the whole church, are being built upon this firm foundation of the scriptures, the word of God, which has been spoken by those prophets and apostles, but doesn't come from them, doesn't originate from them, but comes from the cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, and, and therefore, it's a firm foundation. Uh, therefore, this house is an absolute one, one that's not going to fall over. This is why we are so adamant about uh, making sure that we say that the, the scriptures are, just like you said, Pastor Denzer, uh, the scriptures are apostolic. They are prophetic. They, uh, they aren't just a mixture of divine thoughts and human thoughts. Uh, they are uh, inspired by God. They are infallible, incapable of error. Um, they're not changing. If it were a mixture of human and divine thoughts, then it wouldn't be a very uh, good foundation uh, to build upon, right? Uh, if it's if it's just built on well, it's just your opinion, um, then it could change. It's helpful. We uh, often people level against us. You know, well, you guys trust in the Bible, this wonderful, uh, magnanimous book, but don't you realize it's written by tons of different human authors over centuries? I mean, it's just a piecemeal collection edited by somebody of a bunch of different writings, right? And that makes you at first kind of think, well, that's not very firm. That's not very solid. It's not even unified, right? Uh, speaking the way that Ephesians 2 does really helps shore that up. <laughs> and to continue with the building metaphor, that um, these many, yeah, many prophets and many apostles as well are all tied into the one cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who's setting the trajectory here, um, and and the very words prophets and apostles means they're not their own words, uh, but 
Yeah, and then it becomes not a detriment to our case that the scriptures have so many authors. It actually becomes quite a amazing thing that all these many authors through many time periods are in fact saying the same thing, speaking about the same cornerstone Jesus Christ and and are not in they should be in much more disagreement with each other than they are. It's nothing short of a miracle, and doubly so because of the opinion legus. The, the fact that the grace just cannot be believed by anybody, and we are in an all-out battle against ourselves to destroy grace, both uh, in our inner own flesh and within the, the visible church as we see it, within the history of the church, within the world. We can't stand this idea of justification by grace through faith. And every time it pops up, you have the hordes of hell arising to try to squash it down and, and uh, hem it in in some way, uh, have some like limitation on it in some way. The fact that it happened again and again and has stayed through history like this, I mean, if it is an actual false religion, it is the most amazing false religion in the history of the world because it's it's, it's beyond uh, the odds of like say evolutionary theory even coming to pass as a way of macro creation. It's it's just it, it's, it's mind boggling. There's no way this many people could believe this thing, let alone. Let alone have it all come down to one man who, uh, uh, go ahead and try to prove that he didn't actually rise from the dead. See see how far that gets you historically. You know, like coming down to that, it's just the, the coincidences eventually just become only something that you can a priori decide, I'm just not going to believe it. It's, it's just a coincidence because the, the coincidences just line up too often to be coincidence any longer. So, okay, looking at Pieper's whole argument here, he's trying to, in one sentence and a couple passages of Scripture, say, how do we know that the Scriptures are the Word of God? Well, the Scriptures tell us so, right? They, the, the writings of the prophets and the apostles assert the fact that what they are writing is Scripture. And you might think at the first, well, that doesn't really prove a whole lot, right? Um, how do you know I'm telling the truth? I'm telling you I'm telling the truth. Not all that convincing. The funny part is, and this is where it's interesting if we bring up postmodernism, to the postmodern mind, it actually is more convincing than to the modern mind, right? The modern mind is concerned with we need all this external evidence, you know, because we believe there are truths and we can discover them. The postmodern mind is much more interested to have one person speaking, which is, uh, I'm not sure what to do with that, but uh, <laughs> it may be that this kind of the scriptures verify themselves uh, is almost better at our, in our day. I, I really like the point that you made, Pastor Denzer, earlier about um, how the Bible isn't – we don't look at the Bible, and this is how most of the time uh, modern Christianity is taught to look at the Bible, that uh, uh, as Joel Osteen does in his church, uh, he holds up that book, and it's nice and floppy, and says, this is my Bible, or, or whatever. Um, but the way that at least – Jesus and Paul and the apostles looked at the Bible wasn't this is just one book, but this is a compilation of different authors who are inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, to give us God's word. And while it all of it is God's word, um, it's still from a bunch of different authors. And so when we look at the Bible and we say, uh, okay, this is this is from Peter, and this is what Peter is saying, and uh, this is from Paul, and this is what Paul is saying. And so we, we recognize that this is a bunch of different books coming together, all testifying and confessing the same thing, that Jesus Christ is the very Son of God, come down, taking on human flesh, crucified for sinners, and resurrected from the dead. 
Uh, and this is I mean, one of the, the best examples I have of this is my confirmation students uh, always, no matter how many times I, I tell them, they always make the mistake of referring to uh, Matthew, the, the gospel according to Matthew, as just a chapter in the Bible. And no, that's not a chapter. That's an entire separate book. And there are chapters within it, sure. Um, but this is a book that we have assembled all of these different books together, or the Holy Spirit has assembled all of these books together for us and shown us this is uh, the Word of God. This is the truth. That's interesting. I've never heard a, a story about that happening with confirmation students. That That's a fascinating place to find yourself. I almost uh, am stunned uh, by that. <laughs> Pastor Danzer had mentioned something a moment ago about there being only Scripture's ability to claim for itself authority, which in a modern mind, the, the way we think about science and, and contracts, we don't really buy that. Like, like I want proof. You know, show me that you can do what you say you can do. And I've always been a little bit uncomfortable with saying, well, you can't do that with Scripture, that, that, uh, that you just have to take God's word for it on the matter. And I guess for my conscience, I've always alleviated that by saying, well, but then there is this historical resurrection of Jesus thing, which is the foundation of Scripture and, and ultimately is Scripture. But you can, the sign of Jonah is something that I mentioned earlier. You just, you kind of can't deny it if you're going to be an honest historian. You can't deny that it's a reasonable explanation of what happened. And so Scripture finds its, its proof if it needs one there. But what you were saying there a moment ago kind of got me thinking. It's, it's kind of a neat thing because the way that that postmodernism, not that we sit there and we think that think this out and plan it, but the way that it works out, when you don't have truth, it, everyone's opinion is just kind of equal. Well, since <laughs> since nothing really works that way in life, you have to have a way of deciding who who gets to be right. So you have this. Uh, emotional authenticism that that becomes the final arbiter of truth, and in that in that uh, battlefield, can I call it that? In that octagon, it's whoever just happens to have the strongest emotions in a moment, so that they can sway everybody else. And a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche foresaw this a long, long time ago. He's one of the earliest kind of postmodern official postmodern thinkers, and he he basically foretold that in in such an age it would be the strong man. Uh, he called him the Ubermensch, uh, sometimes translated as Superman, who would have the will to subject everybody to his power, who would ultimately be the one who would get to set the course and. and in an ugly prophetic way, he, he very much was was predicting the rise of Hitler as, as well. But it's kind of like so. So Pastor Danzer says we live in this time now where the the self assertion of the Word of God fits more in the postmodern world as the only kind of proof of his authenticity. And it's, it's like, well, Pastor Danzer, are you saying God is Nietzsche's strong man? And like part of me might think, well, that's really blasphemous because, you know, he gets the context of Nietzsche and Hitler and all this. But the other side of me is like, yes, that's exactly right. God is, in fact, the one whose word does what it says, that does, in fact, sway not just opinions, but wills, yeah, that, that raises people from the dead. What a wonderful thing. The ubermensch, the great man, the one who has the within himself the ability to, to revolutionize and change the entire creation, that's who Jesus was. That's what he did when he rose from the dead. I mean, I, I love it, Pastor Danzer. I think it's fantastic. You, I was worried too with what I was saying, but I think you're right. And then, then the man in I forget that that wonderful story, right? That where Nietzsche has the guy come out and proclaim that God is dead. Oh no, it's a little too soon, right? You're not ready for that. And, and the and the horrible doom that that proclamation. I mean, it's simply an assertion trying to shout louder than God. But uh, it, it, it demands then we we become our own gods. We uh, are condemned to our own success. 
we we must save ourselves. Uh, it brings in all of the horribleness of postmodernism, but uh, it really is the competing claim uh, with with Christianity. If I can take us from there into so now, I mean, this isn't necessarily paper here, but if if I were making this argument in a postmodern context, right? Because I'm not going to go to the Bible to prove to somebody who doesn't believe the Bible that the Bible is trustworthy. Like you're not going to prove anything to them. They're they're skeptical. Right. They doubt. So the place I would go, which is going to deal with the same problem, but just in a little less of a, you know, let me be your friend and, and bring you a long way, and a little more of a, let me just confront you with the bare facts of the matter way, is Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. Something called the prayer of a gur, or it's in the in the section called the prayer of a gur. Um, I... I I bring that up sometimes, and I, I like to because people don't know what it is, and I just stumbled upon it like in, in college. I didn't know anything about it either, but I thought, oh, the prayer of a girl. No one will know that. Ha, oh, I'm smart. But but it's, it's the reason this kind of has stuck in, in my mind a little bit is because of that that young arrogance of mine. Anyway, is, uh, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, it, it reads this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you'll be found a liar. Now, that in no way proves that the Bible's true. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't, I can't put that in a court of law and have it hold up as historical proof that the Bible's true. But what it does demonstrate or, or proclaim is the wisdom of the facts, which is that God doesn't lie. God has spoken. He's spoken a way to save you. And if you try to change that, all it's going to do is prove you wrong. And while again, this isn't gonna this isn't gonna convince any kind of modern skeptical critic of the matter, it is what will create faith, which is the goal. If faith is going to be created, somebody can still resist this; they can reject it. But if their conscience is going to be pricked, they're going to be like, "Oh yeah, well that is kind of worrisome. I, I do need to think about this more." And the only thing that arguments don't do that. Yeah, proclamation does that. Wisdom does that. Law and gospel does that. And I love it because it's it's both of those things here wrapped into into a short short little package. Thoughts, guys? Does it? It takes it out of the courtroom, takes it out of the academic setting and out of the microscope observation and and, and brings the scary questions with it, um, you know, whether it's Pascal's wager kind of thoughts. Uh, and we're, I think, as Christians and especially as preachers, very happy to bring this up and to, and to sharpen the, the personal attack and consequences of this, right? Uh, God's word uh, is not just a take it or leave it thing. It, it has an effect on us, and you know what? If you reject it, you end up calling him a liar. I love the way, I love the way God uses this to force us. I mean, to to make faith happen, right? Yeah. He, he declares his promises and he traps us, like uh, like Paul talks about in Romans three. What are you going to do? Call God a liar? He's told you that he's redeemed the whole world, and he's told you that he's he's baptized you and he's given you his gifts. So you're going to call him a liar? Of course you're not. Um, he he almost forces us into faith that way. Um, uh, traps, really what he does is he puts himself in his words. These things that postmodernism thinks can't deliver or communicate anything. God donates and communicates himself in those words, and he does it in such a way that we can't, we have to receive him. I mean, as Christians, we're not going to call God a liar. And he traps himself that way. 
so that we can have them I, and do. That's so good. I, it reminds me of a story that I, I haven't told this in a long time. It, it's from a friend of mine uh, in seminary. And this guy, in my opinion, is a master of law and gospel. He taught me as much about law and gospel as anybody ever has. And he was talking about, they had a roommate uh, who, who was an avowed atheist. Basically said, you're an agnostic. Like, I don't really you know, believe anything. And like the first weekend that they had moved in together and he's going out to go to church, he's like, so you're going to go to church with me? And the person's like, well, you know, I don't really, it wasn't like an avowed atheist, but like an avowed agnostic. You know, I don't really believe any of that. And and, and he said, well, I thought you told me you were baptized as a kid. And he's, well, yeah, yeah, I was baptized as a kid. Well, then you're a Christian. Uh, is that what that means? Yeah, it means you're a Christian. What are you doing? You got to go to church now. Really? Yeah, because you're baptized. You're a Christian now. And like, he just did it for several weeks in a row. It didn't happen right away. The person started going to church, you know? He just wouldn't let him not believe the promise. No, no, you don't have a choice. You're a Christian now. God chose you. You got to come now. Come to church. Get fed. And it, it like worked, right? And it, I don't know. It's not a, it's not a, a, a recipe for always working. But the idea of God's word being greater than our resistance is, is, is beautiful. And despite all of our postmodern nonsense, people still don't want to be liars, right? And they don't want to accuse other people of lying. Uh, there is a strange thing where people do want to have integrity in our day, even though postmodernism really doesn't allow you to have that. There's no such thing as integrity. Uh, but uh, you're right. We can totally use that to our advantage. <laughs> now, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, I, uh, I, use, I, I use this integrity thing mostly when I talk about closed communion, the idea that Christians, when they commune, confess something and they ought to be united. And if we don't agree in, well, the dogma, in the truth of God's scriptures like we're talking about, then we really can't pretend like we do by communing together. And, and I think integrity is it. We, we despise politicians kind of generically and universally. Why? Because they talk out of both sides of their mouth. When they're with this constituency, they're going to give them all the promises they want. And when they're with somebody else, they'll say the opposite thing if we get them elected. And uh, it's so silly that we do that at the altar, right? Uh, well, today I'm at the Methodist Church, and I, I want to be a part of them too, so I'll be Methodist for today, and I guess next Sunday I'll be a Lutheran again. Um, and I, I think it's helpful for people to realize you just are becoming a person with no integrity. I've never found someone who says, that's all right, I'm fine with being a person who has no truth. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it, there's where postmodernism defeats itself again. And uh, I, I don't know, I think we should just maybe assert that a little more, uh, bring it out, and 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 then push it one step forward and say, and you don't really want to be a liar before God either, do you? Well, welcome, welcome to Perdition Lutheran Church. All are welcome to commune today as long as they have no integrity. Thank you. And then... <laughs> then start the service. See how that Thank goes. You. I got to change my bulletin. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Hamilton, you you with us? You got anything to add here? We got a, just a few minutes left. This is the the exact point that Peeper's making, isn't it? That if we um if we really do believe that the Bible is God's word, that the scriptures are God's inspired word for us, that they are, that this is true, um, we really can't treat it as if it's just our opinion or as if the Missouri Synod has her doctrine and the Methodist Church has her doctrine and we just all have, uh, we hold one thing in common, it's Jesus, but we have all these different doctrines and different opinions. No, we actually take 
we draw our doctrine, our teaching from the Bible, which is the Word of God. And when we start te- treating these things as if they're just our opinions that we can shed as new skins, it's exactly like Pieper says. Uh, he he predicts the science of criticism is constantly, well, he says, is constantly advancing new theories. And 25 years possibly sooner, it may invalidate its present-day findings as to what constitutes the essentials of the Christian religion. And that's exactly what Pieper saw in his day. It's exactly what's happening in our day, and especially with that example that uh, Pastor Denzer brought up, that, oh, we're, we're changing what we really think is necessary and the basics of the Christian religion just so that we can make sure that we all uh, pretend that we agree. So Pieper says then, yeah, after these Bible verses, though it was written by men... We are bound to receive it, this is the scriptures, the prophets and the apostles' writings, not as a mixture of human and divine thoughts and words, but as God's own word, infallible and viable. Which is not to say that there is not a humanity involved in the creation of it. The apostles and the prophets' personalities are definitely visible in scripture, but we are to receive it through them as God's own word, infallible and inviable. Uh, we're just about a minute and a half left for each year. Closing thoughts on that or anything else? The whole point here is that the, the scriptures are the word of God. They are our sole rule and norm. And the, what we teach, whether it's on Sunday or what we confess every day of the week, it doesn't come from our own pious musings or the truth that we've found inside of ourselves, but it comes from the one truth that is found only in Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. When we start treating that as if it's our opinions, we start pulling away at God's word and breaking up the very foundation upon which the entire church is built. Amen. Uh, there's a kind of controversial phrase that's been used uh, to talk about the scriptures having both a divine and a human nature. What's so dangerous about that is actually exactly what Pieper's trying to defend against, the idea that, well, wherever you get humanity mixed in, then you're going to have all of humanity's mistakes, what we commonly call human nature, and what we more accurately should call our sinful human nature. But... Uh, <laughs> As with Jesus, the other place where we originally talk about divine and human natures, you you get a Christological heresy almost any which way you twist it if it's not right on the head. I think it's exactly the same way with the scriptures. If if we if we don't have this um, personal union of of uh, divine and divine nature and human nature, um, which particularly excludes the sin and the error. Uh, then you're going to get a scriptures that you know, falls apart and script, uh, Christianity falls apart. Everything Pieper says, uh, where those things are united in a way that uh, he is like us, except in everywhere except without sin. Uh, and you can apply that to the scriptures and this phrase. And I think it stands very well the way he says it. Yes, it's written by men. Uh, but this has to be God's own word, uh, given with certainty, communicating not just his ideas and thoughts to us for our opinion, but uh, communicating himself to us for our salvation. My guest, Pastor Sean Danzer, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota, and Pastor Aaron Hamilton, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lisbon, North Dakota. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. We're the messenger of good news, and we certainly hope you heard that good news in this last hour. Cross Defense is also listener-supported. That means we rely on your giving to KFUO to help keep Cross Defense on the air 
and coming to you via the internet. So you haven't yet signed up to become an annual contributor, maybe a day sponsor, $480 a month to have one day with your name read on the radio. You can actually designate it to whoever you want, pastor's anniversary or what have you, congregational mission festival. You can uh, call KFUO Radio or find us at kfuo.org and sign up to do so. When you do, make sure you let them know that the reason you are giving is because of your hunger for more cross-defense. It might feel a little bit like, well, we're repeating ourselves, but this is just it. The the day that Christianity stops repeating itself is the day it stops being Christianity. Uh, The day that we stop defending the scriptures is is the day that Jesus has come back. I, I hope, you know, if it's a good thing, is the day that Jesus has come back. And we now no longer need to be taught by each other, but instead can just have the word of God literally coming to us every day directly into our ears from the mouth of Christ. Until then, if we give up the scriptures, we give up we give up everything. And and at the heart of that, then we give up we give up the vicarious atonement, we give up grace, we give up salvation, we, we give up everything, and we dwell in darkness with no light at all. How much better to know that you again have this this lamp shining in the dark place of this age, this lamp which is the very inspired, infallible, inerrant, trustworthy, and oh-so-good news, Word of God. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Until next time, rock on.